0: Welcome to our podcast series, Getting to the Core Issues. Hello, I'm Joanne Bolada And I'm Ann Harmston. Each segment, we will interview healthcare innovators whose models will help transform the healthcare delivery system and provide solutions to the healthcare puzzle. The theme of this podcast is, better healthcare in the US? Is this possible? Comparative Perspectives to Gesso. Our guest today is Lori Dupree-Brown. For over 30 years, Lori has traveled the world with the goal of improving and educating on the topic of global health. She has been a leader in global education and outreach at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, including designing curricula for the Global Health Institute and supporting the development of faculty-led field courses and internships around the world. She leads GHI's Quality Improvement Institute. Lori's work at the University of Wisconsin-Madison is informed by 15 years of experience with international agencies, including the US Peace Corps, USAID, Pan American Health Organization, World Health Organization, Care and Save the Children. She has collaborated to strengthen systems of care in 15 countries around the world, including Costa Rica, Guatemala, and Mexico, and others. Welcome, Lori. Thank you.
1: Lori, we talk about diversity. In the country, And many times that conversation is sometimes very positive. Sometimes it, it can not be so positive. But clearly in working in 15 countries and around the world, as you have, you've worked with a lot of diverse groups. Yeah. Would it be fair to say that in certain groups, there are certain trends that you're able to address because it, it's kind of located in that area or with that group of people? And then secondly, would you be able to apply that knowledge to the different diverse groups in this country. So for instance, if in the Hispanic communities, some of the countries that you've worked with, you may find certain trends amongst those yes. societies. Yes. Um, can, and have you found that to be the case? And can can you translate that?
2: Basically, what I get really excited about with quality improvement and these ways of making change is doing implementation science, that this is sort of the art and science of making change. Say we discover the vaccine that works. Discovery the vaccine is not the science I'm talking about. I'm talking about the science of getting that vaccine to everyone. And so that implementation strategy You can think of it like a recipe and that recipe has some key ingredients where you're not using fidelity to the model Unless you have those key ingredients, but it has some context specific elements that can change So that it really works in the local setting and if you don't pay attention to local issues and place-based context your implementation of that strategy could be slowed down suppose I really want everybody in the world to make this blueberry pie. So blueberries are one of the essential ingredients. Some kind of crust is another. But it might be that there is no lard in a particular country or people don't eat pork there. So we're going to make it with butter there. It's still a blueberry pie. No problem. My essential agreement, you know, that that intervention is sound. I'm operating with fidelity to the model. If I start saying that I'm now going to use a graham cracker crust in some situations, or I've got a gluten-free recipe that uses cornmeal, I think I'm still safe. You get into gray areas, like suppose we're going to have a graham cracker crumb on top, but no base. Some people say that's not pie. It doesn't. It's not pie if it doesn't have the bottom shell. Uh, so you'll g- you can get crazy if you say I'm going to use cherries instead of blueberries. It's not a blueberry pie. When you have an intervention that works, distinguishing essential elements from context-specific elements that can be changed allows you to scale something in a cyclical model where it can be adapted to context everywhere. And the neat thing about that is it's very participatory to do that place-based context-specific adaptation. So you have to involve local people. Do you know what happens when you involve them? They make the intervention better, which is why we involve them. They implement right away because they have ownership of it. So that practitioner who I was mentioning earlier was like this has always worked for my patients i'm not ready i'm going to wait and see what happens with other people that's why it takes 17 years if he's been in the conversation and he's you know been part of making the recipe or she they are going to make that change together or they they are going to make that change together so implementation science is very different than the rct model that mm-hmm governs a lot of what we do. With the RCT model, we're really focusing on methods and making sure we're using the right sophisticated tests to show that a particular intervention really works in a particular setting. And then we try to spread it everywhere, but we didn't test it in all those settings. So maybe, right? So RCTs really work to do basic science. But then when you start with implementing an intervention, you really need to use the cyclical approach, which is very much like the quality improvement PDSA or PDCA cycle, which is plan, do, check, act. That's what you do. You work as a team, you figure out what you want to change, you plan what you're going to do, you implement it, you make sure... That you actually implemented it and you see if it works and you keep going to make it better so you can imagine instead of throwing a ball into a basketball hoop point you're rolling a snowball down a hill and hoping it'll get bigger and bigger and it's changing as it goes um and and it should but at the at the bottom of the hill you you know suddenly it's huge or it's everywhere and you have something that still has fidelity to the model so That um, is influenced by years of doing these kinds of interventions, uh, doing QI that's influenced by what we call community-based research and action, influenced by place-based approaches, the importance of context. You cannot take an intervention from one setting and plunk it into another without thoughtful adaptation. Uh, And I'm going to give you a really fun example from Ethiopia. I was working on a program for orphans and vulnerable children, and we were trying to do, uh, it was actually ended up being a national policy, but we started small with some really good organizations to model care. And one of the things that we wanted them to do, the practice that we desired, was we wanted kids to have their civil registration. It's like having a birth certificate. And without it, you're vulnerable to human trafficking, you're vulnerable to child labor, you're you can't get into school. Kids need that. And so if they've lost their parents, we want to make sure they have their civil registration. There's a lot more. But this was one thing. Instead of saying here's the protocol for how you would do this, one of the communities was trying to figure out how to do this at the community level. Well, it was a cultural tradition and there, there can be corruption in, in, in everywhere. I think sometimes our overhead rates when we have big grants, 35%, that's a lot, right? So I'm not faulting Africa, but there is a lot of corruption when you try to implement change programs overseas as well. So we were worried about doing something where corruption would not occur. And, you know, talking about it. Well, what the local group came up with is we wanted to, we thought they should start a new NGO that would manage this and we'd train them on ethics and, you know, we did our thing, right? And they said, nah, we have in this culture, in this part of the country, not even the whole country, but in this part of the country, uh, we have a burial committee that's in place and everybody in the community gives them money so that when you die, you will be buried properly. So that you will have the cash. So it's, it's like an insurance scheme for burial. Kind of like how fire departments started back in the day. What they said was, we'll talk to the burial committee about being the people who check on the civil registration and collect some money to provide care. Well, the burial committee knows when parents die. So we don't have trouble identifying the children. And because it's a norm in society for people to get their kids registered, there wasn't a big technology issue. Most people can do that for someone. They've done it for their own kids. It's the outlier who isn't. So it was a very easy intervention. And they found the perfect place to do it. So these burial committees, two years later, you know they're collecting this money. They're helping with other, other services, not just the civil registration. The civil registration shot up. And the burial committee said, we used to be about death and now we're about life because we're making sure that these kids get what they need. That's an example. Could I take that somewhere else? No. The essential ingredient of the intervention is when parents die and and a kid becomes to have this orphan status, check and make sure that they have their civil registration. If they don't, make sure they get it. All the other pieces of that pie can vary. And so you can see how fidelity to that intervention allowed something to be done very easily at the community level that we wouldn't have thought of without participation and without the idea of local and community control. Mm Because decentralized systems can be very efficient. And Mm -hmm. also consumers are very highly educated when they're, you know, in their county meetings and hearings and that very local level of government. We're all turning to that mayoral level and local level of government for change around the country. And I think in healthcare some accountability systems can be very local.
1: That was terrific. I think, Lori, that maybe in another podcast, you can tell us a little bit about how some of the time that you spend out of the country, how you integrate that back in Wisconsin, what kind of a committee is set up,
2: how you then spread that information. Yeah. We would look forward to that. I guess the other thing I would say, and I, I know you're representing a lot of different points of view you on your program. And I want to say I have great respect for all the points of view. And I think being in a room together with people who don't agree and having the same goal is Mm -hmm. going to get us to the best place. So I don't think I have all the answers for the healthcare system. I've never run a hospital. There's a lot of, you know, details about that, that I would rely on someone for that expertise. But I will say that I think reasonable credentials and standards would do us so much good. There's a new era of response capability the health system is going to need that we need to anticipate with things like climate change, weather mm-hmm. patterns, even, you know, terrorism. It's, it's, it's something that's got out of the box. We're not going to be able to keep it outside our borders. And it doesn't really always come from outside of our borders. A lot right. of it's coming from inside anyway. The healthcare mm-hmm. needs to, to be able to respond to a crazy shooting, to a terrible flood, to all of these things. And coordinated efforts allow us to prepare for those rare events better. And it gives another reason why we need this regulatory preparing, planning, coordinating level there and to really open our minds to how wonderful governance can be. People tend to think government is bad and we don't need them. Governance is awesome when it's done well. And going around the country has given me appreciation for our governance. Even when it's bad, it's pretty darn good in the United States. So making it work is the job of citizens. And if we have good governance, I think we can trust some kinds of regulations. And making sure that the best parts of the free market are there. It's part of our culture to have that free market feeling and that mm-hmm. choice. You're not going to design an Amer- American will not take Canada system or UK system. Exactly, we right. need to take the best parts of those systems and not just insist that we're the best. We need to look at the data and then make America truly the best, which I think yes. would be a service to the world.
1: Lori, we couldn't agree with you more. And like you, we feel very strongly that we need to have differences of opinions, perspectives, contributions, and mm-hmm. a civil. Dis- course about it. People can talk about differences in all of our guest speakers. We have found a great deal of uh, interaction and uh, some differences of opinion, but all of them productive and all discussed in ways that people can hear the message. Because when you keep things at, at a civil level, then people can hear the message. We're trying very hard on getting to the core issues to achieve that. You've been doing a lot of work in women's well-being around the world. Yeah. Do you want to address that a little
2: bit? Working for diversity around gender and culture and disability and social inclusion, you know, there's evidence that teams are a little more tense maybe when they're diverse, but they're more productive. So Mm -hmm. instead of going where you're comfortable, go where you're learning and go where you're challenged. And don't go to a meeting if there's not a person of color in the room. Don't go to a meeting if a woman hasn't been included. Don't go to a meeting if a person who wants to be addressed as they is not respected, at least intentionally. I mean, it it makes a mistake one thing, but let's embrace everybody in healthcare. And I, I, the great thing about healthcare is we can have a lot more consensus here than in other spaces. And I think this has already happened. A lot of the great bipartisan things have been done around health. And I've worked in places where the whole majority culture do not believe in women's equality or in the way that I do, or do not believe in gay rights and the way that I do. And having that conversation in some places in Africa right now is even difficult. And I remember I was in a car for a five hour ride and we got on the conversation about gay rights. And this person who was a healthcare provider basically said, it was a pleasure. where there were some laws being discussed where really violent consequences of being gay. Mm -hmm. And um, he was agreeing with some of those things and saying that, you know, this was Western cultures importing in their culture uh, in the US. And I had to think about what to say. And I knew I was going to be in the car for four more hours. And I was an example of this Western hegemony that he felt was Mm -hmm. at fault. And I remembered what I had heard an Ethiopian leader say at a meeting, and I repeated that. And what he said was, it's okay, we can disagree about a lot of things, but let's agree that every human being has a right to health and healthcare. So I said to him, I, I hear what you're saying. From the other things we've shared, I feel like you believe that every human being has a right to health and healthcare. And he said, yes, I do. I oh, do. That's wonderful. about that. And then I said, can you teach me a song? I hate to go to a country where I don't know a song. <laughs> <laughs> Learn songs. To- the rest of the ride. But um, that was a big movement. And a lot of times underneath language where people can seem different, there is that shared core value. So I I feel hopeful. One other thing I wanted to share about that, everybody around the world wants some kind of change in healthcare. So we don't have to be completely down on ourselves or our government or our healthcare providers that we're in the same situation. When they were asked the question, how many people think your healthcare system works well with some changes? 25% of the people in the U.S. said that. The other um, 16 countries, it was 40 to 63%. So those systems that tend to be more government driven, more public coverage for all, it's working better for more people. But then the next question was, how many of you feel that we need fundamental changes in our health system. 48% of U.S. respondents thought so. And in the other countries, people who thought fundamental changes were needed range from 33 to 50. So this is a global phenomenon in rich countries that whatever care people are getting, a lot of people think, even in the best case, it's a third of people. So we, we can't get discouraged when we're faced with those. It's, it's a global phenomenon. It's kind of like you don't right. know what you got till it's gone. And then when asked about how many people think the healthcare system needs to be completely rebuilt? The U.S., 27% of people, one out of four, thought that we we needed to completely rebuild our health system. So the same number that think it works fine, and it probably has to do with whether you have health insurance, right? But in other countries, that percentage of people who thought their systems needed to be completely rebuilt was between four and 11%. So there are people on either extreme where it's either really good or really bad. And I think the people who, for whom it's really working, the new system is probably going to work for them. But you know, if you want to get from 27% to four to 11%, it means we want to make things work better for about 16% of people. And that's, you know, almost one in five. So mm-hmm. one in five is a lot of people. So we, you know, we need fundamental change, but other, again, other people are on this journey. We have a lot more resources than many others. If we talk about health and all policies seriously. We can even think about how to work from other sectors mm-hmm. without necessarily shifting funds. So what can we do in our food sector? What can we do in our Department of Defense? I mean, there's a lot of good health innovations that come out of there and there could be some efficiencies in repurposing there. That could be quite useful without- yeah disrupting economic and employment structures that people have. When people are scared or they think we can't do it, sometimes people can't imagine what it would look like to have care for everybody. It seems impossible. It's like having food for everybody. It seems impossible. But we don't have trouble imagining having a cell phone for everybody. That has to do with what we're listening to in the media. And, you know, if if it's possible for everybody to have a cell phone, it should be possible for everybody to have food and healthcare in my mind. And I think all of those are possible. So when I go to Europe in particular, people are very confused about this idea that you wouldn't get care if you couldn't pay. And I try to explain what it feels like to a U.S. person for them. And I say, well, they look at it. And it's kind of like, if I were to say to you, imagine if I were to say to you, if your house starts to burn down, a fireman will come and he'll check to see if you paid your fire insurance before he puts out the fire. That's how Europeans see our healthcare system. Wow, It's completely irrational. And why wouldn't he just put out the fire? And so we do this with life threatening things like a fire. We do this with ordinary things like the mail. We have a lot of systems that work in our society. And And I think the healthcare system can work that way. So a lot of this is vision. What can people see and believe in? Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is political will, the willingness to have these conversations and be like, I'm not all right. You're not all wrong. Let's get in the middle. Exactly right. People want to feel respected and heard. And I think that if somebody could paint that vision and everybody could accept this rough journey, I really think we could have a wonderful healthcare system that takes care of everyone within 10 years. This is a 10-year project in my mind. Right. Absolutely. I certainly
0: hope you're right, Lori, because we definitely need to be moving in that direction. Yeah.
1: Well, we really appreciate everything that you've contributed to this podcast, Lori. This is truly wonderful in the information, your ability to deliver it so succinctly and it's certainly your experience and we're looking forward to having further discussions with you in closing i want to say thank you for joining us we look forward to having you back on the show and especially we'll be addressing the women's well-being issues around the world
2: it's really been an honor to be featured on the show. And thank you for the invitation. Comparative perspectives suggest better health care is possible. I think we can prevent health care problems and we can cover most of our population and we can save money. And I think the big word here is and. We do not have to choose between those things. We can have it all if we're willing to work together. And I am. And it sounds like you are. And I yes. look forward to more. So thank you very much. For more information about Lori Dupree Brown in
0: our podcast schedule, visit our website at Instagram.com. At- Com. Don't
1: forget to share our podcast with your family and friends. Thank you for listening to Getting to the Core Issues, where we bring you solutions for solving the healthcare puzzle.